You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. This evening we're going to continue what we've been looking at over the past few months when I've been preaching in the evenings. That is Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, in which he lays so much of his own heart bare before the people and uh, pleads that they will open their hearts also to him. And uh, this is both uh, personal uh, because of his deep affection for them and because of the way that he's been uh, kind of trashed within the congregation. Uh, But it is also to do with the gospel. And uh, the sort of subtext of the trashing of Paul is uh, the dispensing away uh, of his gospel and the replacement of it with something which was not really the gospel at all. And so Paul, in his great uh, love for the church in Corinth, despite everything, um, and despite the, the kind of the rockiness of the relationship with them, uh, writes in what we have as our uh, second letter, although it wasn't the second letter that he wrote, um, a great deal that is uh, personal, and, and it becomes apparent even in this evening's passage that he has kind of laid himself on the line over them. And uh, he's put himself out there and made himself very vulnerable um, on the back of uh, their generosity. And uh, so this evening, as we uh, read from chapter 8, verse 16, to chapter 9, verse 5, uh, we're continuing these two chapters in which Paul talks about money and... uh, Of course, talking about money is really always talking about people. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches, and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. 
So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Uh, well, um, I'm aware that I'm a, a Yorkshireman uh, preaching about money in Scotland. Uh, and the definition of a Yorkshireman is a Scotsman with all the generosity beaten out of him. Um, so I stand here before you, deep of pocket and short of arm, uh, preaching um, uh, these passages about money, uh, which is a sensitive issue for everybody, uh, more sensitive than we would like to think. Um, and uh, we often um, in our churches uh, leave talking about money to a kind of apologetic codicil to everything else that is spoken about. Um, or talking about money in church gets confined to uh, what is annually the most boring meeting in the entire church calendar, uh, which is something like the annual business meeting at which uh, something like 3.3% of the congregation turn up and uh, everyone wants it to be over as soon as possible. At least that's many people's experience. I'm quite sure that you have absolute lively um, grace-filled moments of praise and worship if you have an annual business meeting here in St. Peter's. Uh, Paul was uh, going to come to Corinth to collect the money that had uh, been amassed by the fellowship there uh, to take it with others back to the church in Jerusalem, which was suffering uh, because of all kinds of persecution and privation, uh, not least famine. And so, as we'd noted before, there is a general assumption around in the New Testament from Paul that any congregation has, whether it feels it or not is another matter, but has a kind of a, a fraternal brotherly responsibility for any other congregation. So without any kind of denominational organization being in place, without any institutional structures, there is simply an organic connection because we are one in Christ. And so Paul, who had a sort of a hot and cold relationship with the church in Corinth, or at least they did with him, um, could write to the church in Corinth, uh, previously to our passage this evening, and use the congregation in Macedonia, up north, um, as an encouragement to them, and is, as we learned this evening, using the Corinthian church as an encouragement to people in Macedonia, to give to Christians that most of them would never have met in a city far, far away in Jerusalem, uh, made up almost entirely of Jewish believers, whereas the church in Macedonia and Corinth was made up almost entirely of Gentile believers. So across cultural divides, across geographical divides, um, in areas where uh, there was no connection through friendship and travel and all the rest of it, there's this basic assumption that we are to meet one another's needs in Christ. And so because of that, uh, we have these two chapters. And because also, the, the way in which the church in Corinth was going to behave with, with regards to its money was a, sort, a kind of a litmus test as to the way it was generally. And I want to, to just think about the, um, uh, the, the, the passage uh, and draw out really two sort of main, uh, three main points, uh, aspects of, of what Paul is writing about here. Um, the, they all three come under the heading of the church as a community of generosity. The church as a community of generosity. Um, and it is the delivery 
on that, on generous words. It's the um, making real a generous promise that is the way in which their money, the money issue, is a litmus test to where they really are as Christians. And it's the same for us too. Um, the money thing is often the, the most sort of, it's, it's, it's the least spoken about, but it's often the, the most potent litmus test of where we really are in Christ. Um, so, the community of generosity. First of all, um, the church in the New Testament is a community of encouragement. Um, I've already indicated the way in which Paul uses the Corinthian example as an encouragement of the church in Macedonia. We have him writing about that in uh, chapter 9, verse 2. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Um, so there's that. There's also already been the reverse thing. The Christians in Macedonia, even though they were extremely poor, out of their great poverty, have given very, very generously. And so Paul uses the, the Macedonians as an example, if you like, to spur the Corinthians into action. And I, and I, I call it a community of encouragement uh, because... Um, Really what's going on here is the kind of thing that we read about in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, and, you know, I know that Paul probably didn't write Hebrews. Uh, but um, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 following, where we get uh, the sort of the, the, the payload of Hebrews beginning to, to, to be unloaded upon uh, the Jewish uh, believers in Jerusalem who were receiving it. Um, one of the phrases that the writer uses there uh, in Hebrews 10 is in those letters, things that we're not supposed to do or do, is it let us encourage one another or let us spur one another on to love and good works. And I'll come back to the rest of that verse in a moment or two. But is let us spur one another on, let us encourage one another to love and good works. So here is the Christian church, uh, because of course Paul, Paul is writing to a church here in Corinth, not just to individual Christians. So let's not individualize it, as is our temptation um, in the West these days. But Paul is writing to a congregation, and he sees the congregation more or less as a horse. So I don't know what, I don't know what pictures you like to think of yourselves as being. It's one of the great sort of games that speakers sometimes do in leadership seminars and stuff, is to get everybody to think of themselves as an animal. Um, and what animal are you? Um, well, it's, I don't know how you think of yourselves collectively at St. Peter's, but uh, the, one of the pictures that the Bible gives you is, is, is a horse. Um, but you're not just any old horse. Uh, you are a horse that is going into battle. You are a war horse. Um, you are a charger. And uh, as the sound of battle is getting louder and louder, and as the flash of steel in the sunshine is getting more and more brilliant, and as the aggression of the crowds that are facing you becomes more and more apparent, you, the um, Dundonian war horse that is St. Peter's, um, may be frightened. Uh, and when the horse is tempted to be frightened, uh, or is frightened, is tempted to pull back, but actually has to power on into the enemy lines, the rider of the horse would encourage it. 
Um, but would not encourage it by sort of leaning forward and whispering lovely words into its lug holes and saying nice things and patting it on the neck and saying, there, there, what a lovely horse you are. I'd just like to affirm you as you reach out for your destiny or something, you know, weird. Um, it digs the spurs in. Like, how comfortable is that if you're the horse? But that's, that's the, one of, one of not, not, but that's one of the biblical pictures of what it means to encourage one another. And Paul has um, used the Macedonians as an example to encourage the Corinthians, and is doing it vice versa in this passage. That is to spur them on and not to back off. Because, of course, a horse as it rides into battle is safest when it is charging fastest and has all the momentum that the rider then can then use with its weapons, with his weapon, and all its own massive momentum as it charges down the enemy. A horse that starts to, to slow down and back off is in the most dangerous position counterintuitively. Play safe, and you're in trouble. Advance, and actually you're safer. So Paul encourages um, the Corinthians with the example of Macedonia and vice versa. That is to say that the church generally, between congregations, is to be a community of encouragement. So we've just been praying for other congregations in Dundee and other free church congregations. That happens week in, week out. On at least Sunday evening services, which is a wonderful thing. That's one way in which we can recognize the fact that we are a community. But how about a community of encouragement? And what can we do, even when the encouragement that might be required to put courage into somebody to go on and not pull back, we know might not be comfortable in the sense that spurs are not comfy for the horse. That's very difficult for us being British because we don't like to say anything that might you know, be offensive. And we are polite almost to the point of death. So as Brits, if, we, if somebody bumps into us in the supermarket aisle, we apologize. Weird. I mean, I don't know where that came from, but we do. If you're Italian, you'd behave very differently. If somebody bumped into you in the aisle and you're Italian, you'd dive on the floor and ride around in agony and look for the referee and for a penalty. Um, but that's, that's another matter. Um, it's a bunch of prima donnas, but there we are. Um, be interesting to see how Portugal do this evening, won't it? Ronaldo going for another free kick somewhere. No, you won't get a penalty because you fell over in your own box, Cristiano, but there we are. Um, to say something which might be sharp. To be a Christian who is not necessarily always saying soothing things. To have asperities. Um, that's countercultural for us. 
And yet it is part and parcel of what it means to care for one another and to be a community of encouragement. To be prepared to say the things that aren't necessarily going to be comfortable to hear. Uh, How blessed and sweet are the wounds of a brother. Faithful are the wounds of a brother. And that's, that's, that is such a challenging word, faithful. Because the counterpart of that is that if we're not prepared to say the things that might be uncomfortable to hear, we are essentially being self-protective. Oh, what will they think of me? And we're not being faithful to them. When Paul writes um, in positive uh, tones to the church in Corinth here, we know, to the church, to these believers, we know that underneath he's making a sharp point. So Paul is exemplifying in the way that he writes, not pulling back from making a sharp point, but not making it crushingly. We, we know that he is exemplifying the very thing that he is writing about. So a community of encouragement. An encouragement that might spur somebody on to love and good works. Now, I said I'd mention the rest of that verse. Because the rest of that verse in Hebrews, as I'm sure you're well familiar, says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. So the day of the Lord, the day when reckoning will happen, but the day when it will be too late for evangelism, Uh, the day when it will be too late for the love and good works, which make a difference because they speak of the Father, so that when, in Jesus' terms, in, in, in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 5, when people see your good works, they will glorify not you, but your Father in heaven. The day for that, or the, 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 the days in which we can do that, are decreasing all the time because we see that day, the day of the Lord, approaching. So this generosity, this community of, 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 of generosity, which shows itself, first of all, as a community of encouragement, is something which we, we, we get more easily, and we're more likely to do when we bear in mind that Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when, but we know that he is. And we know that on at least one way of looking at it in the Bible... We're a day nearer in it now than we were yesterday. So the time to do this is shorter. So a community of encouragement between congregations and Paul to the church in Corinth within a fellowship where people know each other. Second, um, it is a community of men that you can trust. Uh, this, this common life in which things are shared in common, resources are shared commonly, is a community of 
men you can trust. Now, I don't want to get too sexist here um, or anything. It just happens to be men that are mentioned in the passage. So uh, please um, spare me at the end. Um, Verse 16. Uh, Titus uh, himself and the two brothers that are mentioned but not named. Um, So Titus is going to come along with a brother at verse 18. And with Titus and that brother, there's going to be, in addition, verse 22, another brother. So we've got Titus and the brothers. Uh, Titus, verse 23, and our brothers, verse 23. So we've got these three guys coming along. Uh, They are, first of all, picking up on verse 16, men who have God's will in their hearts, and it's shared. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. So this community of generosity has men you can trust because God can put things into their hearts that they do something about. These are not just men who have nice thoughts but do nothing. These are not men who are so full of themselves that they have no room for God to put anything into their hearts at all. These are not men who are just so full of their own wisdom and experience and insight and knowledge and reputation that you know, they can't receive anything from anybody. These are not men who are very religious but spiritually closed to the Lord's work in their hearts. But these are men who have God's will put into their hearts. And this is the same will that Paul has got as well. Verse 17, they have God's zeal, much enthusiasm in their hearts. Same in verse 22. Uh, This third brother, we are sending our brother, has often proved us in many ways that he is zealous. So this enthusiasm and this zeal fires them so that they take initiative because having your heart open to what God will put in does not sort of sap away your sense of initiative. So in this community of men that you can trust, these men are doers and not just talkers. And they'll see a need and they'll get on with meeting that need rather than having three more committee meetings about it until they can decide on an agenda for a fourth working group. So these are men who see a need in whom God can work They're full of enthusiasm and zeal. They're not sort of just curmudgeonly and groaning and moaning about how much there is to do about the place and nobody else does it. And they don't wait for other people to do it so that nobody does it. They get on. Then verse 18, these are men who serve the gospel, not themselves. We are sending along with them the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. So this announcement of the good news about Jesus, this message which is going out for repentance to all nations before the Lord comes again. Here are people who serve that. Not self-serving, but gospel-serving. And you only serve the gospel because you love the gospel. 
And he only loved the gospel because he loved the Jesus of the gospel. It's possible to love the gospel because the gospel is reduced to propositions which really turn you on intellectually. But then you're not really loving the gospel because the center of the gospel is not a set of propositions. It's a person. And the propositions are valuable because of the person and because they're true to the person. So we have a propositional faith, but we only value the propositional faith, not because we love the logic of propositions, not because we are so word-oriented in our Western intellectual traditions that we love all that kind of thing more than anything else, but because of the person behind the propositions. And we only love those propositions because they are true about the person. It's, It's possible to get so taken up with statements of faith and with the statements of the gospel and the work of the gospel and yet to find that inside you aren't actually loving Jesus anymore. I've been there. I I know what it's like to to, to, to sort of meet a bunch of other Christians who didn't know. This happened, I think the first time I really noticed it in my life was um, in my late teens. I was on beach missions and uh, there was that, that sort of time where everybody came together from all over the country to form the, 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 the team that was going to be doing the beach missions that week. And um, you, were, you were just kind of sounding out with the people and sensing folk and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you were a bit reserved and you were listening. And I, I, I well remember um, somebody nearby at the table where I was talking about, he just came out with the phrase, the doctrines of grace. And my eyes lit up, and I thought, oh, well, great, you know. And then some, some poor uh, person sort of half hinted that it might be just a fraction Arminian or something. And I uh, thought, oh, there's going to be a good argument going on. Anyway, prove predestination to it or something like that. And I was, I was getting sort of intellectually, you know, uh, switched on by sound doctrine. But when people mentioned Jesus, I didn't get switched on the same way. That's wrong. It's possible to have a hyperactive, very active mind that loves things that are true, but a heart that has just died on the inside. So when I get to heaven, the question is not will I be able to recite lots of doctrinal statements which are true, But do I really love the Lord? These men love the gospel, but you only really love the gospel in this way and serve it because you love the Lord of the gospel. There's a chap at Liverpool University that I knew uh, called Steve. And it was said of Steve before I met him, uh, my friend uh, Richard, who uh, became a Methodist minister, these things happen. Um, he uh, just one for Chris Southwick there. Um, he said, hey, "We're, we're going to go on. We're going to go have tea with Steve." He said. He said the thing about Steve is, he said, when he mentioned Jesus, his eyes light up. And for me on the beach team. He started a debate about predestination, my eyes lit up. But Steve mentioned Jesus and his eyes lit up. Which is it for you?
And this community of men that you can trust has men in it who are an absolute honor to Jesus. So verse 24, Therefore show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Uh, Sorry, verse 23. Um, They are representative of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, uh, welcome them. An honor to Christ. Now just think about that for a moment. Who is Jesus? (laughs) He is the one who has been exalted to the highest place who has been given a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that he is Lord and I could be an honor to him that he would be honored by me knowing him when I am honored beyond description to have him own me being an honor to Jesus is qualitatively different it is just in a different league from being an honor to anybody else in the universe because he already has the highest honor. Remember Paul writes the church in Corinth in chapter 1 in that beautiful 15 through 18 section where he says, so that Christ might have the supremacy in all things, cosmos and the church. He already has the supremacy. Therefore, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised and made both Lord and Christ. And in a community of generosity, people can honor him, be an honor to him. So it is a community of encouragement, not always comfortable, but always good. It's a community of men you can trust. And of course, we, we know that, that even though he is talking about Titus and two brothers, um, it is uh, just as possible for women to have God's will in their hearts, for women to have zeal for God in their hearts, for women to serve the gospel because they serve Jesus, and for women to be an honor to Jesus. So we don't want just to apply it to men. But it is speaking about men. It is a fairly splendid picture, is it not? To think of having a bunch of blokes like that in a church. And then third, it is the community of delivery. So that promises are delivered on, potential becomes actual, so that people can confidently say good things that are borne out by good conduct. So as Paul writes to them, um, let me just read again from uh, verse 1 down to verse 5 of chapter 9. There is no need for me to write to you about this service of the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help 
and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action, but I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, that is, when he comes, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, will have a whole lot of egg on our faces, which is what he's talking about, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, Titus and the other two, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given because you've been caught out at the last minute when I arrived and look a bit silly in front of the Macedonians. So this is a community of delivery. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's paved with many other things as well. Promises not delivered on. Potential never actually turned into actualities. Because Paul wants them to be, and, and, and very generously in his heart sees them as being a community of delivery, he can rest his confidence on them publicly. So when we say to people, come along to St. Peter's, you get a really warm welcome, and folk will be really interested in you, and they'll love you. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear things there about Jesus, and you can get to know Jesus there. You stick your neck out on the line. And you just sure hope that when your friend actually comes along to St. Peter's, the rest of the fellowship deliver on what you've committed them to. The whole point is that you should feel free to commit the rest of their fellowship in their absence and without their permission to be that kind of place. And Paul wants the giving to be Christian giving. To be generous, not grudging. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. We're cheerful, hilarious. The Lord loves somebody who laughs as he puts his money in the bag as it goes round. One of the nice things uh, about giving through the, the website, what's it called again, Stuart? Easy fundraiser. Um, is, as Stuart said, it doesn't cost you a penny. If it did, would you think, oh, <laughs> here's another chance. Oh, boom, click, there I go. Would you be a cheerful giver? And all of a sudden, as verse 5 closes, all of a sudden, this, this, this wonderful thing opens up about the generosity of giving. This amazing thing opens up about their money thing. And that is that the money isn't money. The money is love. And it's not about the hand letting go of cash as it opens over the basket. It's about the heart being open to God. You see, Paul 
is looking for the money. Yes. But Paul is looking elsewhere also. He's looking at their hearts. Paul has learned to see the way God sees. Remember the verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7? For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And so all along this has been, sounds like it's been about money. But actually, it's about the heart. Community of generosity gives generously with its money because like the righteous man in the psalm that we were singing, that heart affects everything else too. Time, a listening ear, hard graft, practical noose, taking food round, a generous opinion of people, generous speech about people behind their backs. It's the heart. And out of the heart, not only do we speak, but we also give. So, other people might see money, God looks at the heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new community that you bring us into, which is the church, your body. And we know that everything we would think about the body um, is true of the head. that you are generosity itself. That, Heavenly Father, your heart is a fountain of love. And that you have given to us more than we will know. And if you have graciously given us Christ, how will you not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Help us then, Lord, we pray, not to be mean-spirited, but to overflow with that generosity that we have received from you. Let the body, we pray, be just like the head. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk 
for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.